The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Talk is Jericho, baby. Talk is Jericho. Talk is Jericho, mama. Talk is me. All right, welcome to Talk is Jericho. It is the pod of thunder and rock and roll, and it's Friday. So let's get to the weekend and get started with the Duff McKagan joke of the week. Hey, Chris Jericho. It's Duff McKagan calling you. Hope you're well and good. You know, my uh, my wife threatened to leave me because of my obsession with the monkeys. I thought she was joking. And then I saw her face. Thank you very much. Goodbye. And then I saw her face. (laughs) Here we go. It's an ipso facto Guns N' Roses slash Velvet Revolver reunion as Slash is here today. But first, his uh, compatriot, his partner, delivering the goods with the uh, joke of the week. As always, thanks to Duff McKagan. We're raising a glass to him tonight. He's going out with Slash and Guns N' Roses next month. They're going to the Philippines, Jakarta, Taiwan, Hong Kong. And for the first time ever, they're going to Honolulu, Hawaii. Tickets are on sale for that right now. Guns N' Roses still leaving large. And speaking of GNR slash the architect behind the band is back here on Talk is Jericho. He took some time out of rehearsals with Miles Kennedy and the Conspirators to uh, give us a call and talk about his new album, Living the Dream, uh, with Miles Kennedy and the Conspirators. All of it got started this week. The album was released a few weeks ago. The tour is on right now. Uh, Brent Fitz and Todd Kearns, of course. Talk is Jericho alumni. They're the Canadian contingent. We've done uh, Canadian music and Canadian television shows. So very, very cool. We're going to talk about them upcoming. Uh, Living the Dream. Talk about uh, the making of that. Uh, Of course, it's available now on all streams streaming and download platforms. We talked about Guns N' Roses, the reunion, what it's been like, what the future may hold for the band, whether they're going to play more music, more concerts, Slash is not ruling anything out. You hear exactly what he has to say about possible new Guns music, more tour dates, uh, talking about playing with Carol King, talking about playing with Michael Jackson, uh, talking about dinosaurs, of course. You can't have Jericho and Slashy in a room and not talk about dinosaurs. We are amateur paleontologists, but we are professional podcasters and rock and rollers. No more uh, yapping. We're going to get right to it. Here he is. Rock and Roll Hall of Famer, the legendary Slash, returns to Talk is Jericho, episode 499. Let's get started right now. Hey, dude. How are you, man? I'm good, man. How are you? Good, dude. Good. Just just jump right in here. I know you're doing a lot of press, but it's cool that you are... uh, you're back with the Canadians, man. Yeah. I'm actually, I have rehearsal with those guys right after I get, get done with you. Well, that's cool, man. I, I know that you were saying before, like a couple of years ago, that you 
were, had so much fun with those guys. It was like one of the one of the one of your favorite bands to be in because the Canadians had the lack of ego that a lot of other bands do that you that you've played with in the past. Well, you know, I mean, the Canadians being Todd and Brett. I mean, they, it's it's they're so laid back. They're so um, you know easygoing and and you know dare I say just overly sort of. Uh, considerate and and conscious of other people, you know, it's just it's different for me. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, they're they're and they're amazing players, and all they want to do is play. But not only is it you know not only, but they're very conscientious about you know how they play and coming up with their parts and just you know just generally doing a great job. So it's probably been one of the you know easiest kind of. Uh, working situations that I've been in, you know? Yeah, it's interesting, though, because I was talking to Todd, like, last year about some stuff that I wanted to do this year, and he was saying, well, I've got slash commitments, you know, from September or whatever it was, so you always had this planned to to go back with with the conspirators and with Miles, even when you were in the midst of of this massive stadium Guns N' Roses tour. Well, I mean, what happened was when I I signed on you know, on the gun thing, which was, you know, fucking an awesome thing unto itself. Mm-hmm. Um, but I knew then that I still, at some point, was going to come back and and do the conspirators. I mean, I didn't know how long the Guns N' Roses tour was going to go. None of us did. We just sort of got into those first two shows, and then we did a U.S. tour, and then it just snowballed. But at some point, there was going to be a break, right? Right, right, And so, you know, that was just always in the back of my mind. So I was 100% focused on guns, but, you know, also knew that when there was a, a, a reasonable size break that wanted enough time to be able to going and, and rehearse and, and, well, basically start writing and rehearsing and pre-production, whatever you call it, and then get in the studio and record the album. So that came in December of 2018. So I uh, went from then until May to do it. So, you know, we everybody did the Christmas break, and then about mid-January, I got together starting with Brent and Todd just to sort of revisit some riffs that we had from 2015, which was at the end of the World on Fire tour, and we accumulated some material. And then also, I, I over Christmas, I'd written some new stuff, so we got into that. Then Frank came in, who this was his first record as a recording member of, of, of the Conspirators. So we sort of went through all the material again for him and let him write his, you know, get his parts together. And then uh, Miles came in, and we started you know, like pre-production and earnings, then Elvis came and we just went in and recorded the album. So it went pretty quickly. By the time by the time it was mastered, I was in rehearsals with guns ready to go out on me. European it's interesting. So, so it's cool that you're letting letting that Frank is actually playing parts on this record because when you're thinking about you know a slash record, you must really trust him and really know him now to to allow him to contribute. Because I'm assuming most of the time you would just play everything yourself and just kind of show him how it goes for the live stuff. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, it just it takes a second. You know, the guitar is a sensitive. You know, I mean, it's a sensitive subject in a, a band like this, right? Where, uh, you know, I'm doing all that because it's got to be compatible with what it is that I do and and all that. And so, just working with with Frank over the whole World on Fire tour and really sort of doing you know, a rapport musically 
um, by the time it came, to, you know, time to do this record, I totally felt, you know, that it was time for him to come in and start doing the guitars. But you know, he he did such an amazing job. I was so, you know, I hate to sound like condescending, <laughs> but I was so proud of him. You know, he did such a good job, and he did, and he worked quickly. You know, I didn't know some people are slow in the studio, just you know, like take after take or whatever it is because they're not used to it or whatever and he's not somebody who's done a million records but he just came in and banged it out it was great well and talk about a lot of pressure for him too when you got slash over your shoulder making sure you don't up right no no i i didn't i just let him i just let him do his thing i never had to crowd anybody's space when they're doing their parts but you know i come in at the end of the night and check to see what things sounded like you know but then it's it's really cool to me because like i said like and we'll talk a little bit about the guns thing when you mentioned you didn't really know how long it was going to go what it was going to entail but i mean you guys are still have shows coming up i think like in i don't know philippines or beirut or where the hell you're going but then you're going straight out again with the conspirators it's like you just never stop man you just you're just on the road from one band to another constantly yeah <laughs> um but fortunately for me i mean i actually like that i like working like that right and and i like i like being you know i mean what's the best way to put it i i just like being in a situation where i'm jamming all the time and if i'm going from one project to another project that's fine with me as long as i just you know i'm, I'm playing and uh, and obviously, I'm, this this run with guns that we just did was probably one of the most positive experiences that I've had in my professional career, even over when the band first started. So you know, it's something that I want to continue doing. And in order to do that, I'd be able to have to be able to facilitate that. And I want to keep doing the conspirators, so we just have to make them both work. And it's it's taxing and time consuming, uh, but it's cool, you know. It's worth it. Is it fun? Is it challenging to play with one group of musicians for the last two years and then go straight into playing with another group? Is there is there differences that, or is it kind of does it keep you sharp as a player to kind of have a whole different? It definitely keeps you sharp because you need you, you know you can't just you, there's no excuses that you can make <laughs> right, <laughs> you walk right. in the room and you can't handle it. So it definitely keeps you sharp. I mean, the, the cool thing about you know, I was talking about the conspirators and what you even you guys that is a worker. But this, uh, you know, the, the Guns N' Roses lineup that we've been doing this last couple of years with is the same kind of thing. It's sort of amazing because, you know, Guns N' Roses history. But suddenly there's this really, really well-oiled machine that's like super functional. So, mm -hmm. you know, the one thing you don't have to worry about is not, it's like if I walk into the room leave a band and, and to get to work, everybody's ready to go, you know? So that's a blessing because when, when it's disorganized or not everybody's sort of together, then it makes it impossible right. to, to do this much work, you know, because they're adding up. So if we, I don't have that issue to deal with, which is cool. And they don't have to deal. They don't have to deal with it with me. <laughs> you know, it's interesting when I think about like um, some of the the kind of the bad blood that I had over the years with different guys in my job, and now you know here we are twenty years later, and sit down and go like, why were we so mad at each other? 
anyways like you don't even really remember why you had a problem in the first place and you mentioned for you guys with guns and roses how it just has been one of the most positive experiences was it the same type of vibe like once you guys actually sat down and had a chat you're like and why were we so mad at each other for so long i you know uh i i don't think there was there was definitely some new ground to cover as to some of the you know catalysts right. for causing you know, and, uh, you know, a lot of it was not really between he and I. It had to do with outside parties As always. that were part of part of the entourage, so to speak. And that that explained a lot. But then there was, there was different things between he and I that, you know, uh, we needed to talk about because of how we handled those outside sort of uh, influences. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's all very personal and stuff that it was just good that we finally did talk because, I mean, shit, man, it was 20 years that we did not say one word to each other, you know? And that's what I mean, and it's kind of like, what were we, like, okay, fine, but now 20 years later, it's almost like the police when they reunited, you know? You're talking about two of the stubbornest people you could ever come across. <laughs> Well, I'll say I'll say this though: when you guys finally did get up and rolling, was it bigger than you expected? Were you, were you thinking it was going to go this long and have this much of a buzz? Well, I think that was part of the beauty of it. Is I didn't have any expectations. I think it was more it was more a positive thing for me to go in and just be in the room with you know with Axe and Duff and and actually just play, you know, mm-hmm. and you know what I mean. And so that was in and of itself the coolest thing about it and so the, the, the desire to go and do those couple shows at Coachella and the warm-up shows that was just going to be a blast it wasn't really about how big the response was going to be or how well it was it, it, I don't think we were thinking about that it was just fun to go up and get together and play and mm-hmm. then all of a sudden the response became something that we had you know, at least for me personally, I had no idea it was going to be like that, and that went that was throughout the whole tour. So it was it was uh, pretty special. The longest field goal ever attempted is seventy six yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also seventy six yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a seventy yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Let's talk quickly about, about that first gig that you guys played at the Troubadour. I mean, what was that like to get back on stage? I mean, you played with Duff, obviously, in Velvet Revolver. But to get back up there with Duff, Axel, and Slash... Were you nervous, or was it just business as usual? Felt like nothing had changed. Uh, no, it was, I mean, it was definitely not like you know a day, a, a, a day in the life. It was definitely <laughs> a, you know like a major kind of event going down there. I think I think it really sort of presented itself as, as far as like how surreal the whole thing was was it sound check mm. because you know when you sort of pull up to the troubadour, reminiscent of you know <laughs> me and shows at the Troubadour back in the 80s and pulling up and it's the same place that hasn't changed much since I was a little kid and I used to go there with my parents so it was like <laughs> you know so you get there and then it's a Guns N' Roses gig and we haven't played there in that capacity since 1985 
So it was, you know, that sort of sunk in was a little bit of a trip. And then I also realized that this is definitely Guns N' Roses of 2018. We have more gear in here than it can possibly really handle. But, you know, and so <laughs> that's how it sort of started off. But then when it came to actually being on stage, I don't know, there's a, there's a certain kind of gear that you go into that's not really thinking about any of, the, you know, any of that stuff. And you're just on stage and you're playing and it's about to audience that's immediately in front of you and you know you go to a different place what uh, what gigs did you see with your parents at the Troubadour? do you remember well in the in the you know 1971 72 you know that whole period my mom did a lot of uh, both my parents worked for a lot of artists that performed at the Troubadour. so it was jody mitchell helen reddy linda ronstadt uh neil young um there was a bunch of different people that that um, I mean, the Troubadour at that time was sort of like the Renaissance Club. It was where all, oh, uh, Carol, Carol King and James King. Taylor. Yeah, were. yeah, yeah. So, so that's where, like, that was probably the most prestigious club in L.A. because it was where all the sort of singer-songwriters that were making really big waves with hit records, um, at that time, that's where they were all playing. And so those were the kind of artists that we were, yeah, I was seeing down there. Didn't you, as a matter of fact, you did. You played You played on a record with Carole King, like a live record of hers or something, right? It was a studio record, and uh, I'm not exactly sure. I think it was, uh, I don't know if it was, my name, I can't remember. It was like 1998 or something, something like around that. there. And it was really cool. Cause... I bought it because you were on it. It was really <laughs> cool. <Yeah. laughs> it's, I think it was called Two. Hold on to love or something, and it was it was great because she, you know, being the great songwriter that she is, um, she, you know, she took me in and she she you know gave me a lot of compliments about how I sort of work within the structure of the song and blah blah blah. And then, and at the same time, she was also giving me advice on stuff how to work with this particular song and in terms of how her vocal parts were and all this kind of shit. So it was definitely one of those great experiences that you remember for the rest of your career. But then I went on and did uh, a show with her at the Jazz Festival, which was a couple shows, actually, that I did with her. So it was, it was very cool. Oh, dude, this is it. It's called Carol King in Concert. I just Googled it right now. And you, you played with her on that record. That's the one that I have. I think it's maybe it's yeah. make the earth move or something along those lines. You're just, it's like you're, you're bringing the, the, uh, the sounds of Carol King to a whole new generation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know about all that, but you know, it was definitely, it was, a, it was definitely a, a personal benchmark. I think, you know, well, you always played with a lot of different people, like, you know, with what you talk about Michael Jackson and, and all those different Lenny Kravitz. Who's, who's your favorite collaboration? I mean, it might be hard or unfair to ask your favorite, but is there one that stands out for you that was really, uh, really extra cool? Well, I mean, you know, I've been asked that before, and it's like they're all. There's always something to, you know, to be gained from any of them. They're all fun, and they're all different. And, and I'm, I do it because, as a musician, but also as a huge fan. You know, like I'm a fan of people I admire, and 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 people who I respect in the industry. And you know, I try to keep it cool when I'm in the presence, but, you know, mm-hmm. I'm really there as a, you know, overly excited fan. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> and I'm really, I'm honored to do it. So they're all really, you know, great experiences. But I, I have to say that Iggy Pop is, is my favorite. Wow. Because I've worked with him so much and he is just, 
he is just such a great rock and roll icon who has a very, very unique, identifiable, you know, like his talents or something. I mean, it's the same with Michael Jackson, but mm-hmm. he just works within a, a certain something that really appeals to who I am as a sort of rock guy. And I love his spontaneity. I love the way his mind works and his lyrics and all kinds of shit like that. And just, you know, I mean, he just represents a kind of lamb pal in your face rock and roll that, that is uniquely him. And I was heavily influenced by it. So does a guy like that, or, you know, you and I have talked about Keith Richards quite a bit in the stones. Like, does it give you, I mean, it gives all of us inspiration to see them still up there kicking ass and still looking cool and all that stuff. Cause there's really no rules now as to when you have to stop playing music. Like if we worked in a factory or something where you got to retire at 65 years old or whatever it may be. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't think anybody, even if you go back to somebody like, um, Blues guys like BB King yeah, yeah. did it up until right until he started, you know, up to his death, mm-hmm. and and uh, uh, Jeremy Lewis and all these guys who influenced our influences. They, you know, like, nobody ever really stops. The only people that always start to really look at it in the perspective of age are kids, <laughs> you know, because that any kid who's within like between. 13 and 21 looks at anybody who's 30 or older as being, whoa, yeah, that's cool. you know, yeah. I remember, I remember being like that. I remember being 16 and thinking my mom's boyfriend who was 23 was old, right? <laughs> so, right. you know, so there's that. But I mean, when it comes down to it, though, people sort of doing what it is that they do in music, I mean, it doesn't work with sports, but in music, you know, they just go, they, they do it as long as they feel passionate about it. And that's pretty much, since it is pretty much all we do, you know, you feel passionate about it until the ticker stops ticking. Right, yeah, until you don't. I was going to ask you, when, when you got back together with Axel and Duff, um, how did you guys decide kind of the rest of the band, um, you know, with Richard Fortas and Frank and all those guys? Because one thing that people forget about when you're talking about, we want the classic lineup of Guns N' Roses, blah, blah, blah. Axel had been playing with those guys for 10-odd years so I thought it would be very strange for him to just fire all those guys, too, you know? Yeah, well, that's obviously a bigger, you know, that, I mean, that's sort of a, a bigger subject considering all the different things that went on during that period uh, of trying to sort of figure all that out. But, you know, all things considered, yeah, you're right. I mean, when certain things that we were sort of trying to get sorted out didn't work out, Axel Van had he been working with literally for 15 years. And so I, I felt really comfortable with Richard and Frank was great. And so it, it wasn't, it didn't take, it wasn't rocket science to keep all that together. And just the other stuff that we were trying to do didn't work out. And so, you know, that's, I'm not going to get into all that though. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, I wasn't suggesting because I said it was a great band because to me it's almost like we mentioned the Stones. When you go to the Stones, you know, it's it's Mick, Keith, Charlie, and Ron on the poster, but there's seven other guys in the band and girls and, and backup singers and horns, and I kind of felt that with Guns N' Roses. You know, you had the, the core guys, but then you had all these amazing musicians that made just the sound that much fuller and better. It was it was actually pretty cool to see. Right, right. You know? Yeah, I mean, you know, um, you do. It's 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 something that you do what needs to be done. And, and also, like even from the '90s, we didn't have the the original lineup. You know, so that's right, that's right. it wasn't something that that we were like, oh my god, you know, about. 
How was it uh, playing with Richard? Did you guys have musical chemistry fairly quickly? Richard's great. Um, Richard, you know, I mean, I don't know all the guys that played guitar with guns prior, you know, to my coming back. I've never met, well, except with the coaching one, I hadn't met any of them. And so Richard was the first one, he was there when I, you know, at rehearsal, and it just, we hit it off automatically. He's got, he's one of these guys who's an amazing technician. He's he, very, like, very knowledgeable about guitar techniques and guitar, all kinds of shit, guitar, right? But right. he has a, a he, he's rooted in, in, you know, the same kind of rock guitar and the same kind of influences that I am. So we spoke the same language. So, I, you know, all in all, working with Richard was really sort of a boon for me because I was doing my thing and he was doing on his side, like, you know, covering it all and, and also sort of pushing me as a guitar player at the same time. So it was, it's definitely a, it was one of those beneficial relationships that was established really early. It was a cool mix, too, because you got your slimy, slithery style and like you said, he's a little bit more technical with the sweeps and that sort of a thing if he needs to be. So it was a cool kind of uh, mix between you guys. Yeah, yeah. So it worked out well. I mean, I, it's it's almost like it was, you know, like, uh, uh, what's the best way to put it? It's sort of like meant to be kind of thing because it could have been somebody else and it might not have worked or, you know, whatever. But it just happened to, to work perfectly from the moment I locked in. So. Mm. How was it for you when, because um, you guys were already back together when Axel got the gig singing for ACDC? How how, how did uh, how did you guys feel about that, and what did you think about that whole that whole lineup of ACDC? Well, I mean, I, I, yeah, that was all. That, yeah, it was like right before <laughs> we even you know really started. So I mean, it was it was when it was kind of I mean, what do you do? Like your right. your buddy who you grown up with just got asked to do probably the coolest permanent you know, rock and roll gig you could possibly ask for. And he went and pulled it off. I definitely flew out to London for one of the shows. And oh, right on. I, you know, I didn't know how that was going to go. You know, I mean, mm. I know how badass Axel is, but I just, you know, ACDC is ACDC, so I just didn't know. So we went out there and went to this big Olympic stadium, whatever it's called, and it was just awesome. And and especially like the Bond Scott stuff, that was mm-hmm. really really good. And so yeah, and then he came back and he just went jumped right back into rehearsal with us and off we went. Did did he learn some stuff from from working with Angus that kind of that you saw a little bit of a difference in Axel? Like- I mean, I'm sure he did, but I just you know, there's nothing we ever we actually sat down and discussed and. Then, and I, I've known Angus a pretty long time, so I, I know how Angus works, so I know that Axel has definitely adapted to that situation because the, the, the ACDC sort of machine works a certain way. And But there was never any kind of issues. It was like Axel was just totally into it and they just did their thing. So it was cool. Yeah, it was cool. And I thought, like you said, like, you know, I thought Brian Johnson sang the Bond songs because it was part of his gig, whereas Axel has that Bond element to him. You know, he's like he embodies the spirit of, of Bond Scott during those tunes. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it was cool. And I was noticing too. Definitely cool. an influence, Because when you guys did your tour too, you guys were always on time. I think you went on a minute early both times I saw you, which was not the same as the Guns N' Roses of old. You, you know what? We don't even discuss any of that because it's just the way <laughs> it, it worked out. 
and right. we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> I, uh, I mean, I have to say, two years, two years on the road, you know, on this tour, and not one hitch the entire time. Yeah, or at least nothing that was insurmountable, you know? Dude, that's that's awesome, man, when you think about that. Like you mentioned, like, it took 25 years or whatever, but it's kind of, it was something that not just for you guys, but all fans of rock and roll in general were so happy to see that and to see, like, how much fun you guys were having. Like, it really rubbed off, and it was great. It was great for the state of rock and roll overall, I'd say. Oh, that's cool. I hadn't really put it in that kind of perspective. But, yeah, <laughs> no, it's, it's yeah, we definitely had a good time, so... Um, you know, and I've, I've seen other situations, similar situations, and it, it's, you know, oftentimes not as harmonious. So, you know, it's sort of like a blessing. I've said this before, but sort of a blessing that it worked out the way that it did. But, uh, you know, and I'm glad that it actually happened because, you know, you've known me a long time, and there's yeah. never once that I ever alluded to that even being a possibility. <laughs> Yeah. So all I remember is when we talked, and I just said, "Man, the chance that you guys could go back and play stadiums where only a handful of bands can do that." As a musician, is something I bet you always in the back of your mind you think about, and whatever the reason was, you guys did it, and it was it was amazing. So very very cool to see. Uh, I want to ask you a couple of questions as we wind down here about our uh, favorite subject, other than rock and roll, which of course is is, is paleontology and dinosaurs and that sort of thing. Um, lots of stuff going on right now in the world of of, of new species being discovered and uh, new countries that have found all of these new fossils and and then just kind of getting your uh, updates on what you've been reading about lately. Uh, there's a lot of stuff. I mean, uh, I went to Tyrell Museum and, and checked out the, the notosaur that is on display over there, the one that's like per- per- perfectly preserved and mummified and all of that, which is pretty awesome to see. But, um, yeah, there's, you know, there's always, there's so much stuff happening on an almost daily basis now, it's hard to even keep up with. They just found a, uh, a new theropod, it's a totally new species of theropod, and I think it was in China, of course, t- tons of shit coming out of China all the yes. time. But, um, you know, this one's a decent sized theropod, I forgot what it's called. But there's a lot of stuff, you know, um, I can't, I can't even remember the names of everything, because it's they come out so so often, and not to mention the simple fact that they make the names way more complicated than they really did. <laughs> I know, right? I was reading a couple. I, I think was... it's intentional. I really think it's intentional. I think they do it just to f- with the kids. So you can't pronounce them <laughs> because there's that yeah. cat. Uh, have you been? Have you followed Stephen Brusat? The stuff that he's been doing. Who's that? He's a cat from like Illinois. And he's like a disciple of, um, I can't remember what his last name is, but he's been finding all these new species. He's kind of like the hot shot now um, because he says that the biggest thing is that all of these new countries are opening up, like, for example, like Mongolia and China and places where they wouldn't really allow, you know, a North American paleontologist to go into. So he's finding, yeah. like, I think he's found like 10 or 12. He's, he's, he's in there with, with Paul. Paul Sereno and those guys? This is the guy that just, I don't know what you're talking about. This is the guy who actually just discovered something just two weeks ago. Where it's somewhere in the U.S., though. Mm-hmm. But I know what you're talking about. But, it, yeah, it's true. They, um, like, all the all the borders have opened up to let scientists come in and sort of excavate pretty much in all the places where it was, you know, almost next to impossible to get into. So it's, it's, it's a really crazy time for... for I mean, the discoveries are, are, like I was saying, I mean, literally, you know, there's something 
every other week, if not every week. Which is so amazing, you know, after all these years of, of, of studying, I guess that's just because of the new countries that are opening up, or is there new techniques in finding them? Well, no, I mean, there's, as, as time goes by, you know, erosion happens, and the, the more amount of ground we're able to cover because of all the new territories, obviously you're going to find stuff, but there's just, there's a constant state of erosion, so there's just, I mean, if you think about it, the amount of species, okay, not to mention there's the amount of species, but not to think about all the, the amount of living animals that live on this planet that no longer exist, that died, you're going to, as the erosion happens, not everything is preserved, but you're going to find a lot of stuff that is underneath layers and layers of rock that's being exposed. So, yeah. It's just going to keep happening. Well, yeah, and it's like you said too, because I think too, also too, like if you're talking about China, is now there's a lot of Chinese paleontologists coming up through the ranks um, that didn't really exist. I think China kind of frowned upon that thing because I know that they found the Pinocchio. Yeah. Did you hear about the Pinocchio Rex? Yes, yeah, yeah. Like a different type so, of T Rex from Chinese. That it's, had, so, like, it's, it's, like it, it's just got a really long snout. Right, but it's a different species of T Rex, though. A different species. Yeah, yeah. It's it's, it's part of the family but it's a different species so um but i the thing about china is that it is definitely one territory that has turned up the most feathered dinosaurs you know out of any from out of anywhere else and they're constant i mean i think that china basically has the biggest the largest amount of new species on the planet in, in the last 20 last 20 and 30 years so it's, you know, for guys like us, it's just like, woohoo. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's another thing that, that Brissette found. Uh, he found the, uh, the, did you hear about the Yarkvara? It's not spelt like that. It's spelt like D E A R C M H A R A, but it's pronounced the Scottish, like Gaelic term of Yarkvara or something like that. It's a giant marine lizard. Right. He found one of those in Scotland. So, like you said, yeah, it's woohoo because of all of this shit that's turning <laughs> up. <laughs> it's, it's, it's actually really cool, man. It's really cool. I, you know, it is really cool. I've been going down to, uh, you know, wherever we're traveling, I'm going to all the different museums just to see um, this, all this new stuff on display next to the old stuff that's been there for decades. And it's it's cool to see such a sort of like you know, an electricity to all this new stuff that's turning up. And, you know, and then all the books that they're trying to get artists renderings to do mm-hmm. sort of like, you know, the imagination version of what these animals look like. And it's just fun. Do you do a lot of that when you're on tour, like try and go to as many muse- museums as you can? Uh, yeah. I mean, I really, you know, when I'm on the road, there's, you know, I don't really do much. I, like, you know, I, I play and I go back to the hotel and I don't really hang out or anything, but mm-hmm. I do go to natural history museums and, you know, the, the few very specific dinosaur museums around. And I still haven't been to all of them. I haven't been to any museum in China, mm-hmm. um, which I'm dying to do. And then there's a, there's a really great paleontological uh, sort of destination in um, Argentina that is, you know, outside of, it's a few miles outside of where we normally stay when we're in like, Buenos Aires. Mm-hmm. So it's it's always been too far to get to and get back in time to do a show. So I'm still looking to, to get out there. And then you also heard about the the fire at the Brazilian uh, Natural History Museum. No, what happened? One of the oldest museums. It just I guess because of maintenance, or whatever, it just caught on fire. So 
this is one of the oldest, it's definitely the oldest museum in the country, but it's one of the older museums in the world with very unique uh, specimens to that country. Mm-hmm. Early humanoids, amphibian, all kinds of stuff. And so it's, it only happened like last week. So I haven't heard what the total damage of the fire was, but a lot of people really mourning the potential loss of some really significant um, stuff there. Lots of pieces, yeah, because that's a big area too when you think about it. I hadn't heard about that. I'll have to Google mm. that. Favorite dinosaur? I think it's still a Dinonychus. <laughs> but, you know, it changes from time to time. I, you know, I, was, I was really with a Spinosaurus until it became unhip to be into it. <laughs> became a pit. you're a dinosaur nerd <laughs> last couple of things are you, are you are you doing anything with your uh with your production company still yeah i'm i'm, I'm working away at it simultaneously with everything else i'm juggling four different movie projects but i, I did close two deals so those two at least are you know green lit so to speak so there's there's that and i've been working on a cartoon for a while and that one got picked up so at some point in the next couple of years, I should be coming out. So, uh, yeah, it's been very busy, but I'm very quiet about all that shit because until it's out there, you don't know if it's going to succeed. You know, even it, just getting things completed in this business is is something, you know, is, a, is an accomplishment more difficult than anything I've done so far. So I just keep quiet about it until there's a release date. There's so much to it, dude. Like, you know, first you get picked up and then you got to get it financed and then you get it made and then you got it distributed and everything. Yeah, yeah. And, it's, and there's just so many people involved and blah, 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 blah. And it's just, it's just slow. It's a very slow industry. Until the first check gets cut, that moves like blinding. <laughs> <laughs> it's getting that check cut, that's the problem. Yeah. Is the cartoon with that cat in Toronto that we met, is his name Matt? Is that his name? The guy that you know in Toronto? The guy from uh, It's not with anybody from Toronto. Okay, gotcha. I can't really say just yet who... who. No, I was working with a guy from Toronto on a movie, though. Gotcha. I, but I I'm met... not working with him anymore. So. Okay, well, um, forget about him then. <laughs> Last two questions for you, man. Um, what was your favorite Guns N' Roses song to play that you hadn't played uh, in years that was fun to, to get back into again when you did it, when you went out on this tour? That's, that's a good question. Um, I know Strange for sure was on there. Yeah. Because I always liked playing that, that song. And then, you know, I, like Welcome to Jungle was a blast to play. I mean, just because it was such a major part of the set. It was in the early part of the set, so we got things going really, you know. Mm-hmm. So that was a lot of fun to play. I mean, I could sit there and I could give you highlights, and I start going down the set list. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a long, it's a longer comment. There was no one song that I was like, oh, this is this is the pinnacle of my night. Because every, you know, there's so much material, and it was, we were playing like three and a half hours. By, oh, man, it was crazy. Kind of was, you know, so, so there was a lot of different material, a lot of cool things to play, you know, all throughout the set. I thought it was really cool that you guys busted out some of those Chinese democracy tunes. Yeah, it, it, it was no, it was cool playing those songs and then, you know, like really turning into something, you know, like being able to to put your own two cents into it to make it your own, and it just it was a lot of fun to do. Yeah, they really came alive with with you guys behind them, and and I thought. Especially like Chinese Democracy, the song itself almost sounded like like one of your tunes when you got a hold of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I, the thing is, is the songs in, in themselves are actually really, really cool. 
And so when you just, you know, sort of narrow it down to two guitars, bass and drums, just jamming those parts out, they really sort of have a, they get a little bit more aggressive and, and whatnot. So, you know, but they're really good songs to begin with. So Was that an actual suggestion or did you guys come up by committee or did you suggest it or do you even remember? I was it was sort of like, you know, one of those things where, like, okay, Chinese Democracy, obviously, was a song that, as a Guns N' Roses song, whether I played on it or not. Mm-hmm. And so it just sort of started with that, like, which songs off that record, which songs off this record, which songs off this record. And so Chinese Democracy was just like it was any of the other records. Right, right, right. Well, it's very cool, man. I know you got to go rehearse with the, with the Winnipeg boys and with Miles and everybody. Yeah. You're going to be out for a long time. I know... Duff is back with Loaded, and Axel may or may not be doing ACDC. Will you guys reconvene with Guns N' Roses a year down the line and do some more work together? Yes, I mean, you know, I'll just consider, I mean, I've been asked that a million times. There's no, there's no set answer for that. I mean, I, like, I know that we're going to do something at some point in the not-too-distant future, but we haven't sat down and done it yet or anything like that. So, but it's definitely something that we're all want to do so we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get there for sure but it's cool to like with with the conspirators I, mean, I just saw your european tour you guys are playing big rooms with that band too like they're it's an arena level type venue it's, it's there. some of it yeah it's sort of a mixed bag like we're playing from clubs to arenas to festivals and you know but it's, it translates in a festival setting or you know, like when we're in Poland, we're playing at this arena over there that's like a full-size arena, and we managed to pull that off. So it's, it's, it's you know, it's good. It's cool. I like the, I like the, the variation on opinions. Because you just like to play. It doesn't matter to yeah. you, right? Yeah, <laughs> when it boils down to it, yeah. I mean, I was just thinking, even that club up in Aspen, the Up Club, right? Oh, yeah, I know yeah. you played there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is probably the smallest venue in the circuit, right? Right. But it's... Last to play there. It's like playing in someone's living room. But and this it kind of takes you back to you know it's like a punk rock take you back to your roots playing the high school party type of a gig. You know yeah, I mean? yeah, exactly. It, it's fun when you come off stage like covered in sweat. You're like leaning over to the guy in front of you, going at the top of your lungs while your band's playing, and you're, you're playing the guitar and going, "Dude, you're on my foot." <laughs> 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 when you when you get when you get your hair cut and someone else's tuning pegs and all that sort of shit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Man. You just really become one with the audience. All right, Chris. We listen, all right, dude. I will be in touch with you as we go, and I'm sure I'll see you at some point somewhere. Great talking to you, man. And go uh, try and learn a Triumph cover today. I think you should do that. All right, man. Have a good one. I'll talk to you soon. All right, dude. Thanks, Slashy. Talk to you soon, buddy. All right. Cheers. Bye. All right. Thanks to Slash for coming back again. Such a great guest. Uh, Living the dream. The new album from Slash featuring Miles Kennedy and the Conspirators. It's out now, and the guys are on the road. The tour started this week. Uh, they've been playing for a while. They play in the Aftershock Festival in Sacramento on Sunday in a couple days, and a big hometown gig at the Palladium in Hollywood next Tuesday the 16th. That's a big room. All dates and ticket information at SlashOnline.com. That's SlashOnline.com. Go see Slash featuring Miles Kennedy the Conspirators with Brent Fitz and Todd Kearns. You're not going to be disappointed. Great 
great rock and roll band with a great rock and roll show. I got to warn you, though, they don't play a lot of Guns N' Roses tunes. They've got too many great songs of their own. And, of course, Slash, always on the hunt for new dinosaur uh, fossils and exhibits. So if you have any, hit him up on the Twitter, at Slash, and let him know where you can go for his paleontology uh, uh, needs. All right? Uh, listen, you're not going to be disappointed by Slash. You're not going to be disappointed by Living the Dream. And you're not going to be disappointed if you're booked and ready to rock at Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rager at Sea. Listen, guys, we are about two weeks away starting tomorrow. We're two weeks from tomorrow. And there's still a couple of cabins left. So I want you to live in the moment. Grab a final cabin at ChrisJerichoCruise.com. Come join the fun. There's only a few left. Everything included in the price, all the food, concerts, live podcasts, stand-up shows, meet and greets, autograph sessions, wrestling matches, everything in between. The only things you pay for on board the ship are alcohol and gambling. So come hang out. We have got uh, Corey Taylor just extended his set to two hours. Uh, Fozzie, we're putting together our uh, our special... cover set that we're going to do the second night that we play with a bunch of guests are going to come join us lots of special stuff and of course it's the grand uh, big kahuna the biggest main event of the year the alpha club versus the bullet club it's the bucks of jericho or is it y2 jackson versus kenny omega uh, cody and marty skrull you're not going to see that anywhere else but on the ship of Jericho. Uh, It's a one-time only match. Then, of course, Impact versus Ring of Honor. Kicking it off, it's the no-rules deck fight, Sammy Callahan versus Marty Skrull. Then we got LAX versus the Young Bucks, another dream match. Then we got a 10-man elimination war, Impact versus Bullet Club, Young Bucks, Cody, Marty Skrull, and Adam Page versus LAX, Sammy Callahan, Brian Cage, and Johnny Impact. Uh, Don't forget about Bound for Glory this Sunday. Johnny Impact versus Austin Aries, who was here just a couple days ago. Go back and listen to that interview. If you hasn't, uh, haven't, uh, Austin's always a great guest. Big main event of uh, Johnny Impact versus Austin Aries at Bound for Glory. But back to the Jericho Cruise. We've got Live Talk is Jericho with Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Uh, Another Live Talk is Jericho remembering Eddie Guerrero with Conan, Rey Mysterio, and DDP. Um, also, the entire Bullet Club for Talk is Jericho. Uh, Jim Ross and Jerry the King Lawler also Talk is Jericho. Lots of cool stuff going on with that. Mick Foley doing his 20 Years of Hell stand up show. Um, you're not going to want to miss that. Talking all about the uh, crazy hell in the cell that changed his life 20 years ago against The Undertaker. Jim and Jerry will be doing their JR and the King live show. Um, and don't forget, Killing the Town versus Keeping It 100. That's Conan, Disco Inferno, and Shane Helms debating uh, Paul Lazenby, Don Callis, and a special third member. You might not uh, be expecting, but it's going to be hilarious. And of course, the first round of the Sea of Honor tournament has been announced. New brackets. This Jay Lethal is now the Ring of Honor champion. Uh, it's Dalton Castle versus Matt Taven. Chris Daniels versus Delirious. Marty Skrull versus Rhett Titus. Silas Young versus Flip Gordon. And bracket B, Mark Briscoe versus Will Ferrara. Adam Page versus Frankie Kazarian. Cheese Battle Guy versus Beer City Bruiser. Jay Briscoe versus Kenny King. Of course, we got Brandy Rhodes, Mandy Leon, Sumi Sakai, Jenny Rose from the Women of Honor. We got Jenny Rose versus James Ellsworth intergender match. We've got so many other matches too. I mean, Delirious versus Cody. We got the uh, four team elimination, uh, four team a tag war, uh, four corners match. So much stuff going on. Go to uh, Chris Jericho Fozzie on my Instagram to see all those matches or go to ChrisJerichoCruise.com to see the entire rundown. Don't forget that Melissa Santos is going to be there. Cruise director SoCal Val, special guest host Noel Foley, and then there's the live music Fozzie doing three sets. Like I said, our second set is going to be all covers. Corey Taylor of Slipknot and Stone Sour doing a two-hour acoustic set. Phil Campbell and the Bastard Sons. 
King, The Stir. We just toured with them, and we toured with King as well, both great bands. Dave Spivak Project, the new Spiv- uh, DSP, Dave Spivak Project video, Cold Empty Streets is on YouTube now. Go check that out. He's going to be there. The Darlings of Rock and Roll, Cherry Bombs, be doing some great performances. Shoot to Thrill, the world's greatest female ACDC cover band. Blizzard of Ozzy, the world's best Ozzy cover band. I want to see both of them. Beyond the Darkness is going to be there. Uh, they're going to actually uh, do a kind of a, uh, uh, I guess, kind of some kind of a paranormal seance almost. Uh, Dave Schrader told me he's going to lead his merry band of whoever's with them on the Beyond the Darkness pub crawl. They're going to try and raise a UFO from the bottom of the sea. So there's a lot of cool stuff going on there. Marty uh, DeRosa will be doing some stand-up. Colt Cabana will be there. They're doing their unprofessional wrestling podcast and stand-up. And, of course, live comedy from Brad Williams, Craig Gass, Sal uh, and Q from the Impractical Jokers. So much stuff going on. Uh, it's going to be amazing. And also, we have a huge, huge announcement about Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rage at Sea tomorrow, uh, Friday morning. This is Thursday night, so it's today. If you're hearing this on Friday, if you're listening to it Thursday night beforehand, uh, lots of stuff going. You're going to be very happy if you can't make it on the cruise, and you're going to be even happier if you are on the cruise. We are going to make this the greatest vacation of a lifetime. So go to ChrisJerichoCruise.com and uh, book one of the final remaining cabins. It's going to be worth every single penny. And speaking of worth it, episode 500 coming up this Wednesday. I can't believe we're 500 episodes in, and one of my favorite guests... And one of my favorite people, he's also a Rock and Roll Hall of Famer. Who gives you the Rock and Roll Hall of Famer? Slash today at episode 499 and episode 500, possibly my favorite rock star of all time. One of my favorite people on the planet. I'm going to wait. I'm going to announce it later on this week, maybe this weekend. Episode 500, you are not going to want to miss it. It's huge. Thank you so much for listening to all 499 or one of them or anything in between. I do this for you guys. I appreciate you. We will see you for episode 500 on Wednesday. Until then, stay hard, stay hungry. Peace, love, and hugs, and a big yeah, boy.